our great hope, the great dream, is that we would be a place where believers and skeptics have authentic friendships together and have honest conversations about faith and doubt. Now, when I tell other church leaders this, one of the first things that they say is, aren't you worried that that's going to cause people to question their faith? And I say, no, not at all. And here's why. Because the friction between believers and skeptics sharpens our faith. The questions sharpen what we know and believe about God, makes us think, and it clarifies what Christianity is saying, and it brings us face to face more and more with the claims of who Jesus says he is, what he claimed to do, and what it means for us. I say, actually, when you look, here's what, I'm, here's what I tell them. I'm actually more concerned about people who think that they are Christians, but have yet to really understood the claims of Christ. If you look in the New Testament, so many of the letters that are written to churches are written to people who think that they're Christians, but they're actually missing what Jesus Christ is claiming. And so there are letters of correction, letters saying, you guys, you had it, but now you're missing it. You're missing what Christianity is about. So actually, when you think about this, the greatest threat to the Christian movement is not other religions. It's not atheists. It's not skeptical people. It's people who think that they are Christians but have missed the claims of Christ. So two weeks ago, I said one of the biggest problems that I found is that a lot of times people are rejecting Christianity, but they're not actually rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting what they think Christianity is. Well, in the same way, a lot of times when people embrace Christianity, they're not actually embracing what is Christianity, but what they think Christianity is in their mind. Today, what we see Jesus most concerned with is that people have missed his claims. If we become a church that is filled with people who think they are Christians, but have missed the claims of Christ, then I have failed you. Because it means I have not clearly communicated what Jesus Christ has claimed about himself. And our dream is that we would be a place where believers and skeptics and people who are on their way to belief. But if we become a place where people have missed the claims of Christ, then this stage is going to be bathed in my tears. Because I've messed up. Because we've missed it. So in our verses today, we see Jesus very uneased about people who are following him but have missed his claims about who he is. So what he does is he clarifies who he is, what he came to do, so people can make a decision about if they're going to follow him or not. But what he doesn't allow for is people to follow him who don't understand what he's claiming about himself. So let me read it for you. John 6, 60 through 71. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Now, what it says, many of the disciples heard it, this is all the stuff he's just claimed. They said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, Peter answered him, I said Simon P- Pizza. Um, <laughs> Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. All right, so let me set the stage for you. So Jesus now has all of these people following him. These large crowds are gathering him. Wherever he's going, they're following him. They're following his every move. They want to be with him. And then what he does is he makes these amazing claims about himself. And then here's what happens. All of this crowd, there's some of them that start grumbling. Many of them start grumbling about what he says. And so they go off to the side and they're like, hey, did you hear what Jesus just said? I'm cool with the miracles. I'm cool with all of his teaching about how he says we should live. But did you hear what he said about himself? I think I got to bail. I think I got to get out of here. And so Jesus senses that this is happening. And he says, oh, were you offended at those claims? And then he makes an even greater claim. And then they're out of there. Do you see what he's doing? He's separating the crowd from the true believers. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this is not the way to start a movement. I mean, if you're starting, he's finally getting all of this traction. These great crowds are coming to listen to him. And it's almost as if now he wants to just run them out. Wouldn't the wise thing to do for him to for him to do would be to just back off a little bit for the sake of the movement? Not for Jesus. He wants to make sure people understand who he's claiming to be, what he's claiming to do, and what it means for us and the way we ought to live because of it. He would rather change the world with this small band of rogue rebels then gather this large crowd who is going to change the message or is going to make the message a little bit more tolerable, an easier pill to swallow. He, he won't have for it. Jesus wants to lay it all out there, all of the claims, and see who will leave, see who has questions, and see who is really going to follow him. When gold is refined, here's what happens. It's taken to the furnace, it's taken to be heated, it's taken to be put to the fire. And what happens is that gold, anything that's attached to it, it separates. It separates from the gold when the fire is put to it. What Jesus is doing is he's using his words, his claims to separate those who truly follow him and those who don't. Now, listen, if you're skeptical to Christianity, I'm not saying that you aren't gold here. This is just a picture I'm trying to paint, but it could be that you actually are gold, and you just don't know it yet. So here's what I mean. God might be putting the fire to you right now through his words, causing you to make a decision about him. 
And sometimes it takes years, even decades, for someone to say, finally, yes, I believe. But what Jesus is going to do is if you are his, he's going to constantly be putting the fire to you so that you might go to him finally. That's what verse 65 and 70 is saying. But the bottom line is he's putting you to the, to the fire by his claims. Why is he doing this? Because he doesn't want anyone to think that they're a Christian if they aren't. Soren Kierkegaard said that the greatest enemy of Christianity is Christendom. Now, here's what he means by that. During this time when Soren Kierkegaard was writing, in the place where he was writing, everybody went to church. It was the cool thing to do. It was the popular thing to do. Everybody went, large crowds gathered. But the problem was they weren't going to church for Christ. They were going for other reasons. And what he was saying is that that is killing Christianity. A few generations ago, especially in the South, everybody went to church. If you didn't go to church, you were like an outcast. It just was what you did. Everybody went because the crowd was going, but not because they really listened to and believed the claims of Christ. Here's my question. Have you made your faith your own? Or are you... Is it because, yeah, I'm a Christian because, well, my parents were Christian and my grandparents were Christians. Or, hey, I was born in America in the 20th or 21st century, so yeah, of course I'm a Christian. Are you really making it your own, though? What if it wasn't safe to be a Christian? What would you do? Are you a Christian because culturally it's just, you know, it's the right thing to do. It makes sense. We're in America. Just, yes, I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. Or maybe... It's the best option among all these options that you might think are out there. Do, do you hear, like, are, are you hearing what Jesus is saying? And are you able to say, yeah, I understand why people would be offended at that. Those claims, I understand why they would offend somebody. What I found is that so many people, they don't really want to think about what Jesus is claiming because it complicates things for them. It makes life more complicated if you're really listening to him. And, okay, some people are Christians because it fits in with their political views. So maybe you're a Republican and you say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because in your mind, Christianity just represents conservative things. Or maybe you're a Democrat and you say, well, yeah, of course I'm a Christian because Jesus cared for the poor. That's... That's not what Christianity is, actually. Um, what's going on is Jesus is, you know, there's, there's these people fighting over here and these people fighting over here. I believe this, I believe this. And Jesus is over here in the corner with this band of rebels and he's like, this is how we're gonna live. It's gonna be completely different, completely separated from all this. And if, as I was talking about political things, if you're like wanting to correct me, then you're missing the point. And if you're saying, ah, oh, you know, Jesus, Jesus is more of a libertarian, you're still, you're missing the point here of what I'm saying. Jesus is about something completely different. He's forcing you to come to him and he's saying, all right, everything you think you know, throw it all away. We're gonna start from this foundation we're going to say, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. And this is what it means for you to live. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to do, to wipe everything clean. 
don't make the mistake of being a Christian because it fits in with the group of people that you run with. Or it fits in with the tradition that you're part of. Be a Christian because you've heard what he has said and you really believe that it is true. The question is, could it be that you're claiming to be a Christian, but actually you're not? Here's the only way to know. You've got to look at what he has claimed and you've got to ask yourself, do I believe it's true? So, this is what Jesus is doing. He asks his disciples in verse 67, do you want to go away as well? And the Christian responds just like Peter does. The Christian says, where else would we go? We've heard your claims and we believe that they're true. We're going to follow you wherever you go because we do believe. So the question now is, what are all of these claims that have everybody so offended? Why is everyone so mad at what Jesus keeps saying? Well, what is he saying? They're all the claims that he's making in chapter 6 earlier, and, and here's what it is. They're the foundational beliefs of Christianity. So at the end, after you hear these claims, if you say, yeah, I believe that's true, you're a Christian. If you say, I don't know, that's a hard pill to swallow, then you're not, and that's fine. But here's what I would say. God still might be coming for you, even if you don't yet believe. He might still be after you. Don't, here's all I'm saying. Think about what he's claiming. But please don't ignore him or dismiss him. He is the most influential person to have ever lived. So at least investigate his claims. At least allow them to permeate deep into your soul. So, okay, here we go. Here are his claims. And let these claims be a fire to you. Let them make you make a decision about him. So first claim, he says that he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven to give eternal life to all. So what does that mean? Well, he's not saying that he's the bread of, he's not saying that he's throwing bread from heaven down. He's saying that he literally is the bread of heaven that has come down to offer eternal life to people. He is the true food that gives us life. Here's what he's doing. He's making a divinity claim. He's claiming right here that he is God come from heaven down to the earth in order to give us life. Now, what is clear is that Jesus is separating himself from, from humanity. He's saying, I'm different. If you look in the Bible, you see places where people are meeting an angel. And the, one of the first things they do is they bow down and they start worshiping this angel. And the angel's like, stop, stop, what are you doing? I'm just part of creation too. But here's what happens. When people worship Jesus, he doesn't stop them. He doesn't stop them. Why? It's not because he needs us to worship him. It's because it's the best thing for us. So the Christian belief is that there is one God, three persons. Now here's what this means. This is why God doesn't need us to, need us to worship him. Each person in the Trinity is working to glorify the others in the Trinity. Each one is working. Their sole concern is for the glory of the other. The Father is glorifying the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit is glorifying the Father and the Son. They're all lifting each other up constantly. Listen, God 
does not need our acceptance. He doesn't, he, he's not lonely and feeling unappreciated. He's completely appreciated and loved within himself. Now, to believe all of this, here's the main thing from this, is to believe that we have a God who gets involved with creation. It means that we have a God who comes into creation. Listen, if you were writing a book and you had all these characters in the book, those characters could not know you as the writer of the book unless you wrote yourself into the story. That's exactly what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's written himself into the story so that we might know him and be known by him. You can reject this, but please, if you do, understand what you're doing. You're saying that there is a God, but we cannot know him. He can't come into the world. He can't get involved in our lives. To be a Christian is to believe that God has come into the world for us so that we might know him and be known by him. All right, second claim. The second claim is that God will die. So God comes into the world not just to be the bread of life that gives us eternal life, but he's the bread that's come to be broken. So that means that Jesus has come into the world to die for us in our place. The offense here for everybody that's hearing this is that Jesus has just said that the living God is going to die. There's an, in one of the other gospels, Jesus is explaining this to Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 this isn't right. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, why would, Peter, why would Jesus have such a strong reaction to what Peter said? Because Jesus' very mission in coming into the world is to die in our place. Jesus is saying to Peter, don't you dare follow me and not know that the whole reason that I am here is to die in the place of my people. Why would God need to die in your place? It says in Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, here's what that means. God, Jesus, perfect, comes into the world sinless, but then becomes sin. And on the cross, he is treated like he is our sin, and he is crushed, and he is killed, so that our sin might be crushed and killed, so that he, so sin has no claim on us anymore. That's why he came to die. You are now completely forgiven, accepted, washed clean. And that is one of the hardest parts, I think, about Christianity to accept because what Christianity is saying is that every single human being is a sinner. But if it's true, then you have forgiveness in him, in him alone. So why would we not run to him? So God wrote himself into the story, not so that he would just, we could know him and be known by him, but so that he would die in our place so that we might live. He took the burden we are meant to bear. He steals us out of hell and makes us fit for heaven.
by writing his own death into the story. Does it offend you that God would think we are such sinners that he would have to come and die for us? For the Christian, it's the sweetest news that they could ever hear, and here's why. Because now there's nothing that we can do or not do that's going to make God love us any more or any less. His love for us is constant. It's relentless. It's not stopping because of the faith that we have just said, I believe this is true. Third claim. And this is where Jesus loses them. He claims to be God coming to the world. He's claimed to be God come to die. And then he says, but I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going to ascend back to my throne in heaven and I'm going to rule over all creation. And they're like, I'm out of here. This guy's crazy. I'm leaving. I don't know what the heck I've been doing, why I've been following this guy, but I got to get out of here. They throw the towel in. Listen, God has written himself into the story to come for you, to come and die for you, but also to break through the grave so that you might follow him through the grave as well. The resurrection, listen, the resurrection not only proves that Jesus is God, but it means for you that he's literally taken death and he's thrown it into the sea, never to be seen again. It's drowned in the sea. And here's what that means for you now. Death is only a thin sheet of water that you simply walk right through and you walk right in to the arms of your savior, Jesus Christ. Now, okay. This sounds crazy, right? That God would come into the world, that there's a God and he's going to come into the world and he's going to come for me and he loves me enough to just come and get me. He's concerned about me. He's got me on his mind and he's going to come and die and then he's going to rise from the grave. I mean, is this really just fairy tale stuff? If you search into the depths, the deep chambers of your heart, you're going to find at least that you hope this is true. And it starts there. You know what faith is? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it starts, this like little flame starts kindling, like hope, hope, hope. And what happens is that as you begin to think on, let these claims permeate, you start to believe them more and more and more because you're reasoning. You're, you're, you're taking a look and you're saying, is this true? Is this true? Is this true? And for some reason, you can't let it go. You want to keep thinking about it. You want to keep processing it. Do you know what happens when you think there is a God but that he doesn't come into the world for you? You know what that means for you? You say this, I got to earn my way. I got to do the work. He's up there. I got to do the work and earn my way into that place upstairs. The big man in the sky, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get to him by working hard. Christianity is saying you can't earn your way. Now listen, I can tell you that the biggest way that people say that they're a Christian but aren't, here's what they say. A Christian of course I'm a Christian. Look at my life. I'm a good person. I love people. Yes, I am a Christian. Churches are filled with people 
who would call themselves Christians because they think that they are good. Christians, listen, Christians are not Christians because, that they, are, because they are good. They're Christians because they believe that those claims are true. Let me tell you this. If Satan, if he took over our city and the churches in our city, here's what would happen. The strip clubs would be empty. We have one. The strip club would be empty. Houses would be filled with laughter. And the churches would be filled with people who are reading the Bible and listening to the sermons and are completely missing the claims of Christ. And Satan would be waiting for all the pretty, polished, good people to come walking right into his arms. The great trickster, the devil, is filling his home with people who think that they are good and have no need for a God who comes into the world to rescue them. Jesus says that the claims that he has spoken are spirit and life. Listen, to be a Christian, it's not to say, listen, it's not to say that God is a good teacher, that Jesus is a good teacher. It's not to say that he's a good man who was killed by this evil religious institution or government. To be a Christian isn't to be accepted and loved by God because you're a good person. To be a Christian is to be a band of rebels who have been forgiven, accepted, and loved through belief. Are you a Christian? Are you following him? Simply to hear these words and believe and say this, wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. Listen, to follow him means to say, I don't plan on failing you. But when I do, I will remember the words that you have claimed, the words that you have spoken, that I have complete forgiveness and acceptance and love through faith. And now there's nothing I can do or not do to escape from your arms, even though I'm a failure. To follow him means to say, I am giving you my whole heart. But when I don't, I will remember the words that you have spoken, the words that tell me that you loved me first and you sought after me and you came for me and you went to the cross, you loved me so much. And that love that you had first for me before I even had any hint of love for you, that love displayed on the cross, that will remind me of that love and I'm going to come running back to you. I got more. To follow him means, means to say, I will follow you without fear. But when I'm afraid, I'll remember that you say you are with me always to the end of the age. That's it. I'm not done yet. No. <laughs> you say to him, I plan on giving you control of my entire life, my money, my possessions, my job, everything. It's yours. You can have it. But when I want to take it back from you, I will remember that you lost everything. You gave it all up on the cross so that you could have me and you submitted perfectly to the will of the Father for me so you can have me. So I will give it all right back to you because I remember that that's true. To say to him, I don't, it's to say to him, I don't plan on doubting you, but when I do, I will remind myself that you chose me and you are never letting me go. It's to say, 
I don't plan on sinning anymore. But when I do, I will remember that you who knew no sin became sin so that I might be made right and made perfect in the eyes of my God. When life isn't going good, I will remember that you went right into suffering to bring about some good in this world. And I will tell myself, God of belief, that the suffering that I am walking through now, you're going to bring some good out of it. And it's for my good and it's for the good of this world somehow, some way. And when death starts knocking on my door, and I look at death with despair, I will remember that you rose from the grave and that you have secured a life for me. And so I will now look at death as an old friend because death is now something I simply pass through like a thin sheet of water and walk right into the arms of my sweet Savior, Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, to follow him in this life is not a bed of roses. It feels like walking on an earth that is not your home. But the truth is that as you walk closer and closer and closer to him, you begin to taste the sweetness of the world that is to come, the world that you were made for, and you grasp hold of it by running after him and by walking closely to him and by following after him. Let those words be a fire to you to make you go running towards him, saying, I'm yours. Let's go. Where are we going? Let's pray. <laughs> you are so encouraging. <laughs> Father, we thank you that we have something to hope for. And we pray that as we are hoping that you would kindle in us faith and that faith might turn into a flame and that we would fan it and fan it and fan it so that we might see you bring about some good in this church and in our city and in this world. All because this kernel of belief has popped And more and more of us are running after you, living the way that you've called us to live. Not because we have to, to earn anything, but simply because we want to. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.